On the Record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC on News Talk. Now, the thoughts of the sporting world are, of course, with Pele. Upon some news, or some speculation at least, that the greatest footballer of them all has entered palliative care. I know there's been some, some mixed reporting coming from Brazil around what exactly uh, the future holds uh, for him. But we want to talk about a visit that the great man made to Ireland back in 1972 when Ireland was transfixed by the footballing legend. He arrives in Dublin to play with Santos against a combined side from the ranks of two historic Dublin clubs. And you know for certain that Donald Fallon is going to have some words about how they concocted this kind of concoction of League of Ireland clubs. We'll come back to that in a second. But tens of thousands of fans descended on Dalyman Park for that game to get a glimpse of one of the greatest players in the history of the beautiful game. But alas, it was far from one of the most beautiful uh, exponents of the greatest game. And Donald Fallon is here to tell us all about it. Um, Donald, before we talk about 1972, um, some will remember a more recent visit uh, by Pele, which was coming at a pretty difficult time for us. Yeah, listeners might remember it. It was 2009. Pele arrived in Ireland. We We were feeling most sorry for ourselves, rightly, I do say, yeah. Uh, after this disgraceful uh, moment in Paris that none of us will ever quite forget or forgive. It was mm. eight days before the arrival of Pelé that Thierry Henry dashed our dreams of World Cup qualification. Uh, and, you know, one of one of his own former teammates told the press afterwards, the feeling amongst the French public on Thursday morning was one of embarrassment. We didn't want to qualify in controversial circumstances. We wanted to beat Ireland by playing within the rules. Yeah. So who could forget the feeling of this country oh. in 2009? Can we enter the World Cup as, as an te- additional as, as team? As Team 33. It was. Um, yeah, yeah, it was a moment of, of, of incredible... Uh, a saying which prompted a show on this station of the same name um, and of course then we are at, at this time trying to drum up support from anyone and everyone to look for a replay of the game or some special leave to enter as a 33rd team Pele naturally is asked for his thoughts and yeah. typically diplomatically doesn't go there when Pele arrives into a country that was incredibly angry he plays it most diplomatically he tells the press the result wasn't fair no doubt but everybody can make a mistake, even him. He did it accidentally. I don't think he thought he was going to handle the ball. Yeah, I don't think many people in Ireland agreed, no. but at least he acknowledged the result wasn't fair. But yeah, Pelé nonetheless played an absolute blinder when he was here in 2009. Crumlin Children's Hospital, Ballymun, uh, Dunboyne AFC, Royals, FAI yeah. Club of mm-hmm. the Year. Uh, and he did it all by helicopter, like an American president flying across yeah. the Irish countryside. He went into the football heartlands you know, signing footballs uh, and kissing babies. So mm. it was an extraordinary thing. And I suppose it lifted the mood of the Irish football community uh, at a time when mm. it was very, very low indeed. Uh, I love the idea of someone going around by helicopter in 2009 in those halcyon days between the bank guarantee and the bailout <laughs> when it was still kind of mildly plausible to, to get away with that kind of behaviour. Um, by that point, uh, we might say at least officially, it's, it's always disputed, but we might say at least officially at that point in, in the FIFA catalogues, he was the greatest of all time. Zidane, good, Pelé, better, George Best, you know, we would say in mm-hmm. this part of the world. Mm-hmm. But yeah, look, by then, Pelé was a legendary figure in 2000. FIFA named him the player of the century. A serious honour. Yeah. But, you know, befitting one who, you know, won his first World Cup at the age of 17. And by that stage, he kind of solidified his own place, you know, in, in, in the folklore of football. Published a, a brilliant autobiography. I mean, from the introduction, this is the introduction. I just love the way he describes the game. Football is special. You play in a group. You cannot play it alone. There is something magical in the absolute harmony that exists among teammates. A ball passed well to a striker is every bit as important as the goal itself. And when it's well-tuned, it all comes out beautifully as though we were taking part in a cleverly choreographed dance. There's big, uh, big 1970 World Cup energy out of that opening paragraph, <laughs> yeah, isn't there? Totally. That's brilliant. Totally, isn't it? You'd expect an Italian to say something yeah. uh, like that, you know. But the, what was the old one about the... Uh, 
the the Italians play football and poetry and the Brazilians play it in prose. But you know, there wasn't a whole lot choreographed about the dance in Dublin in 1972, mm. as we'll hear today. It was far from a classic game. But the visit of Pelé to this city was just an absolutely enormous story. The first visit, you know, even if it happened uh, in the context of this seemingly never-ending Santos cash-in mm. uh, in Pelé's name. Uh, just by the by, uh, football is special. You play in a group. You can't play it alone. Uh, Diego Maradona is there saying, hold my beer. Or, yeah, or, yeah, or rather yeah, saying yeah. hold my something else something slightly <laughs> stronger than beer um, there was something very cynical about all of this you mentioned the cash in there because Santos uh, the club for which he played in Brazil they seem to be on the road all the time yeah they kind of became the Harlem Globetrotters of soccer you know and, mm. and, and Nick Miller has made that point he said in the late 1950s Santos with Pelé in their ranks realised they had a method of printing money by sending the squad out on the road. And for the next decade, they sent them to every corner of the globe. And, and he's not wrong. I mean, they played literally everywhere in places where there was no great kind of grassroots football community mm. at all. People still came to see him. And there's some really good anecdotes from these like never-ending tours before Ireland. So, you know, players would kind of jostle for Pele's shirt after matches as you came into the last minute or two of a game. There seemed to be, you know, every player on the pitch was marking Pele in the hope that they get his jersey. And Tommy Craig from Sheffield Wednesday, a great story. I told the referee to give me a signal when he was about to blow for time so I could stand beside the great man. When time came, I grabbed Pele around the waist until he parted with the jersey. And then a Plymouth Argyle player said, people say I should, I should sell that jersey. Why would I? It's worth more than money. I sometimes wonder what he did with my shirt. I'd, <laughs> sign, I'd sign it if yeah, he likes. I, I, so, I'd say it probably remained in a bin somewhere in Plymouth. I don't yeah, think it made yeah. the journey back to Brazil with him afterwards but this is the circus that follows Pelé uh, and, and, and Santos everywhere they go so when this tour rolls into Dublin eventually uh, it takes on a kind of historic North Dublin team mm. one of whom no longer exists but who were you know, the giants in their day uh, Drumcondra and Bohemians I think the primary reason for that was it took two clubs to, to come up with the money it was very very costly yes, stuff yeah. a guarantee of £10,000 and Santos, they wanted to stay, of course, in the Gresham Hotel. Okay, so, not right. a cheap, friendly. Mm. Uh, tickets, £2. Pricey enough, too. Uh, in, uh, understandably enough, though, there is an awful lot of interest in this um, exotic team at the airport. So naturally, when they all land in, in Collinstown in 1972, there's a huge squad of media out there looking to get a few words from anyone. But those who do show up at the airport don't get a huge amount out of Pele. Not from Pele, no. And I pu- pulled up the newspapers from the next day, the front page of the Irish press, the cigar-smoking Santos vice president made a promise to Irish soccer fans yesterday and a smiling star Pele underlined it with a few well-rehearsed words in English. The promise is that Santos will turn on their top form against the Bohemians from Condra Selection at Dalyman Park tomorrow. And Pele, whose English is restricted to a few broken words, immediately broke off from signing autographs and told me, hope good game. <laughs> <laughs> quite the promise. That's, that's quite the quite the splashy headline, isn't it? Hope, hope good game. Hope good game. Uh, get more information. Talk to your doctor. Um, a, a man whose whose command of English, to be fair, uh, was was far lesser than his command of a football. And uh, presumably, though, by this point, uh, and this is the bit that we we wouldn't get, you know, in Ireland in nineteen seventy two. To to us, this guy showing up to play a friendly in in uh, Daly Mount Park is a huge novelty. It's not a novelty for him because he has already been around the world how many times yeah, doing exactly. this for, for and, a quick payday. And one biographer of Pelé writes that almost all the exhibition contracts stipulated that he should play for a minimum of 65 minutes. Oh. So Pelé had to be yeah. on the pitch for the majority of the game. And on occasions there would actually be kind of booing and, and whistling and in some places, you know, arrests uh, if he was substituted off the pitch mm. because people had already gone to watch him. So they didn't want to see the rest of the Santos team. They wanted, they wanted to see 
to see him. So you got these, you know, the spectacles of large numbers of people leaving the ground if Pelé was substituted off, which wasn't great. But the next day after the game, the press said, the great man trotted out at Dalyman Park to a rapturous reception from the thousands who availed of this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity of seeing him in the flesh. They sold 27,500 tickets. It's about 30,000 people mm. in Daily Mount on the day. That's how it goes, you know, in Irish football yes, in the yes. past. And it's not to say there weren't moments of great football. Uh, they just really weren't from Pelé, to be honest. I mean, Johnny Fulham uh, and Tommy Hamill scored. What an incredible thing to say for Irish footballers. Yeah. That you scored, scored against Pelé. Against a team that included Pelé. But Santos won it 3-2 and probably without ever going into the second gear. Mm. Uh, this year was a big anniversary of the game and there's there's a lot of, uh, of anecdotes and plenty of memories going around to, to go with it as well. Yeah, you know, to the shock of many people listening, 1972 was 50 years ago. So there was, the, you know, that <laughs> no. kind of great nostalgic uh, anniversary coverage that you get around these things. And mm. Nicola Anderson went looking for people that were there. She found the young Bose fan, Dave Ledworth, and he talked about his disappointment not seeing Pele scoring. I was probably cheering for our team, you know, rather than for him, but it still would have been good to see. And I think that was always the thing with these Santos games. Everyone thought Pele could score at will. And when he didn't, you know, they never went home all that happy. But his aunt got a, a, a an autograph at the Gresham, meeting Pelé by total chance. There's not a great story about someone who got an autograph in a different way. Taoiseach Jack Lynch. Like, <laughs> 1972's yeah. not a great year to be Taoiseach Jack Lynch. No. Remember, this is the year of Bloody Sunday and everything yeah. else. Uh, but Taoiseach Jack Lynch just walks into the dressing room after yeah. the match uh, and gets his programme signed by all the Santos team. I bet, I bet you didn't have uh, Brazilian dignitaries coming into the dressing rooms in Croke Park looking for an autograph off Jack Lynch after his five hurling or his one football All-Irelands. But uh, sure, how the other half live? Um, in a weird way, aside from this being a, a money spinner for Santos and an opportunity for 30,000 odd to see uh, Pele in the flesh, um, what's weird about this is that it, it plays its own little role in something that we've talked about on this slot before, which is then the subsequent visit of Muhammad Ali to yes. a stadium not a million miles yeah, away. Yeah, and listeners might remember, that was 50 years ago. We looked at that not too long ago, just yeah. a few months ago on the slot. So I suppose people start thinking, well, we could bring Pelé to Delhiman Park, so we can bring Muhammad Ali to Tolka Park. And literally, that's what they're talking about. And and, and the man who eventually does it, Buddy Sugru, yes. great name, one yeah. of the great names of history, <laughs> uh, in the papers the day after the the, the, the pelé Mount incident. After Pelé at Mount, why not Ali at Leopardstown or Lansdowne Road? Why not indeed ask Buddy Sugru on a flying visit to Ireland last week mm. when he successfully applied for a licence to promote and discussed his extremely sketchy plans <laughs> to bring Muhammad Ali to Milltown or perhaps Tolka this summer I love that he was originally thinking about Tolka Park yeah. uh, for that great mm. fight and we all know of course it happened in, in Croker but maybe the idea for this big celebrity event in Irish sporting circles mm. flows out of Pele and Dalier uh, It's a remarkable story that one in its own right which Donald has talked about on this lot before I'm going to tweet a link to the podcast actually in just a few minutes time when we're out of the studio um, uh, for, about his his previous uh, walkthrough of the, the Ali fight in Croke Park and, and just how, how incredibly chaotically organised and improvised the whole thing was uh, In the meantime for Pele uh, life goes stateside and having done his global tour uh, trying to fill the coffers of Santos he then goes to a club that has no history but at least had a pretty bright future Yeah, I mean America was, was where so many great football careers went went to, to die wasn't it unfortunately mm. and the New York Cosmos was an incredibly strange uh, team because it was only born in 1970 and Pelé went there in 1974 Association Football had a, a long struggle in the United States of America 
And uh, yeah, it was a really 1970s American approach to the game, just flinging enough money at it and hope for the best. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Beckenbauer had a, a great line about that particular team. He said, sometimes in the dressing room, I think I'm in Hollywood. You know, it just felt really, <laughs> really lavish. Uh, but look, the, the club's media spokesman, great name, John O'Reilly. When yeah. he arrived, he tells the press, <laughs> we had superstars in the United States, but nothing at the level of Pelé. Everyone wants to touch him, shake his hand and get a photo with him. And he closed his career out there uh, in the Big Apple in 1977. And when he gave up, he left with a beautiful speech, uh, far better than his you know, words in Dublin Airport. Mm. Hope game good. You know, he told the Americans on the last game, he said, love is more important than what we can take in life. And that was Pele's parting wisdom. Parting words when he was uh, signing up with the, finishing up with the New York Cosmos uh, 45 years ago. Um, you, If people enjoyed this lot and they want to talk more about uh, all matters, Daily Mount Park or uh, Richmond Park. <laughs> Talca Park. Uh, or Talca <laughs> Park. <laughs> and, Anything and with Park. And it's something. Any old park. Uh, the use of Stevens Green for a live animal crib. Who knows? Uh, they can meet you in the RDS this afternoon. Yeah, I'm going out to gift it uh, in the RDS, which is a great fair of Irish craft and design. Uh, the Dubray book stall from two o'clock today, signing three castles burning. A History of Dublin in 12 Streets. Which is available to fill all of your stockings uh, three weeks from now. If you can get hold of it, actually, because yeah. it's selling like hot cakes. It's actually very difficult to get into History of bookshops. Dublin in 12 Association Football <laughs> Stadiums. <laughs> That's the sequel done now. That's the, the next The next will be like a history of the League of Ireland grounds. You'll be doing Home Farm, Everton and Drumcondra and Sporting Fingal, Dublin City FC, all, all of the great fallen names of the beautiful game. Uh, Donald is the author of the Three Castles Burning uh, book, uh, A History of Dublin in 12 Streets. He's also presenter of the podcast of the same name about the history of the capital city. And he's the author of the Community to Me books and of Henrietta Street and Tenement to Suburbia uh, as well. So uh, plenty of Donald Fallon authored literature available to fill your Christmas stockings three weeks from now. On the Record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC. Sunday morning at 11. On News Talk.